Um, happy Father's Day to all the, the dads in the house. Uh, quick happy Father's Day. Um, I also want to just say, uh, just um, mention, I think it's important to you that uh, obviously Father's Day can be a celebratory day uh, if you are a dad or you uh, had a good dad. Um, but for some of us, uh, Father's Day is a day that we remember uh, the reality that our, our father is no longer here. You might have had a dad who, who passed away. I may remind you of the father who was never there, uh, who was absent. Uh, maybe you had a father who was present but very unavailable emotionally um, or relationally and kind of just say, hey, I provide physically and I'm kind of doing my own thing. Or maybe you even had a father who abused you or, or wounded you. And I just want to say today that in Jesus, you do have a new father who cannot die, who only gives good gifts, who will never leave you or forsake you, who sees you, who delights in you, who adores you, who's proud of you, who doesn't just love you, he likes you. The scripture tells us he goes out running to find us, that he pursues us. Um, he doesn't just love you, he likes you, he, he wants you. And so in two weeks, I'll be talking about Romans 8, this idea of adoption and knowing God as Father. And the reality is, is for all of us as followers of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are filled with the Spirit, which we'll talk about this week, next week, but you're also adopted by the Father. And so I just want to pray over us today that sense of the Father's affection, um, and then we'll dive into our text today. Is that okay? Um, Father, I am so grateful that we have a, Jesus says to call you Abba, to call you Daddy. That is intimate. It is crazy because you are the king of the universe. I think of David's words in the Psalms when he says, who is man, who, who, who is humankind that you are mindful of me? You should be way too busy to consider what I've got going on in my life, but you see it and you move towards it. I pray that we'd increasingly believe that you are a daddy, that you love us. Would we not be too cool for that? Jesus wasn't too cool for that. Jesus cried out to his daddy in the midst of his most painful suffering and rejection and isolation. There's moments in our life where we feel like we're all by ourselves, where we feel rejected, where we feel afraid. And Jesus, when you were in those spaces, what did you do? You said, Daddy, help me. And so, Lord, um, I pray that we become a people who could say, Daddy, help me. Wouldn't be too cool for that. And I pray that you would help us become people who judge our earthly fathers by who you are, that we wouldn't um, project who those men were or weren't onto you. And so we thank you for being our dad. And Jesus, we thank you that, that you died not only to reconcile us to, to God the judge, but to make us right, uh, to, to, to adopt us, uh, to, to see God the Father adopt us. So we love you, and we pray Jesus. Amen. Man, you guys are loved. I hope you know that. As you sit in your seat, I don't care how much money you gave or didn't give just now. I don't care whether or not you even want to be here right now. I don't care how much sin you struggled with this week. I don't care how much insecurity got the best of you again. You are loved and liked by the king of the universe because of the person of Jesus, guys. That's huge news. And we're just going to dive more into that reality today. We're in Romans chapter 8. If you guys have the Bible, turn to Romans chapter 8. We'll be uh, in verse 1 again. Uh, we've been going through the book of Romans, and Romans has a lot of bad news about how humanity is, is separated and alienated from God, and that is very bad news. But then it also has a lot of good news that, 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 that what is wrong with this world, what is fundamentally fractured about this world is the fact that our relationship with God is fractured. And because of that, everything about us isn't what it should be. That impacts our relationships and our society. It leads to injustice. It leads to um, people taking advantage of the poor. It leads to uh, fractured families. 
it leads to so much of, of what is wrong in this world. But then, God, but then God in Jesus, Romans says, God provides a way for us to be reconciled to a God who is making us new. And as he makes us new, we live out that fact and we make the world new around us in our relationships and at our jobs. And we're being changed by the Holy Spirit slowly but surely. And so uh, we've been w- working our way through the book of Romans. Um, uh, two, two weeks ago, I talked about how we have this new peace with God, no condemnation, Romans 8, 1. Um, uh, about, I guess, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I did that. Two weeks ago, John Denner talked about how we have a new hope. Uh, we have something to look forward to in Romans 18 through 30. Uh, today, we're going to pop back up to continue the theme of new stuff. Who likes new stuff? Anybody? Right? Like, if, we're, if we admit it, we like that new, new, right? We like a new thing. Ever since we were a kid, we like new toys. We, right? I, I, my wife would kill for a new car, uh, right? Like, we are, are, that thing is, it's, you hear it before it gets there, you know? It's like Buffalo before they <laughs> arrive on the plane, you know? Like, oh, that's the Rogers Trailblazer. I've been made fun of ad nauseum. I got these new sandals in Tunisia for $15. I don't know if they're real leather or not, but I got to put a lighter up against them in the Medina, and I was like, I'll take those. Because my other sandals, uh, I forgot them. Uh, and so it was a desperation move. I thought they were kind of cool, but I've been judged for them uh, repeatedly now. So whatever, not all new gifts are good. But in the gospel, there's a lot of new stuff, okay? And uh, there's this reality that, um, uh, and by the way, in Romans chapter 8, it's beautiful. It's one of the only passages in the New Testament, in the epistles. It doesn't have a single command. It doesn't have a single imperative. It just tells us, here's the, the gifts Jesus has given you in the gospel. Some, some new stuff. Enjoy this stuff. Uh, it starts with no condemnation, Romans 8, 1. It ends at the end of Romans 8 and says nothing can separate us from the love of God. And in between that, it's just more good stuff, gifts. And so I'm hoping it's going to feel kind of like Christmas up in here. Okay, you'll be like, man, this is New Gift City the next few weeks. Today I'm going to look at uh, the idea of, of a new freedom and, and a new perspective. Next week we'll dive really into the personal Holy Spirit, a new presence. And then we'll talk about a new Father, right? So a new freedom, right? So if you guys have Bibles, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All right, now stop. I know I preached a whole sermon on this three weeks ago, but this is massive. It's everything. All throughout his- history, humanity has deserved condemnation or alienation from God because we violated our relationship with him. We rejected God. We did our own thing like a, a foolish child rejecting a loving parent. Or a foolish spouse committing adultery on an amazing spouse. We, we broke the relationship. Or, or someone who, maybe you had a best friend, you gossiped about them. Or whatever it is, we foolishly walked away from a life-giving relationship, but, but better than those. And now we experience this gap of not being reconciled. And now the gap is gone. And when you experience that, by the way, and even at a human level, this is so transformational. If you experience a relationship that was once alienated, being reconciled, it's amazing. The more important the relationship, the more transformational it is. Um, but I experienced this past week, man, even if it's not that close of a relationship, it can radically change your life. I had a conversation this past week. It was a vulnerable conversation with another follower of Jesus. He's a leader in, in Jesus' church in another church in another part of Southern California. And if I'm honest, uh, I did not have a good relationship with him. And I also have to be honest that that had everything to do with me and nothing to do with him. 
You ever have a relationship with somebody like, I feel like they don't like me and I don't feel like I did anything, right? That, that was him. Um, and, and in my heart, uh, I had avoided him. I tried not to have conversations with him at meetings with Christian leaders, even though he was always excited to see me. I always played it like too cool for school. Um, and, and listen, there, there were parts of his personality that annoyed me, and there were some genuinely unhelpful things he had done that hurt our relationship. But instead of talking to him about those things like a mature person, disciple, leader, if I'm honest, uh, I just kind of buried that stuff down deep, and I quietly judged him. And your judgments are always good when they're in your – they always feel better when they're in your heart. You're, like, sure of them. No one can challenge them. You're like, that guy's the worst. How do you know? Trust me. Like, dude, you're, I'm talking to me here. And recently, uh, I was at a conference, and you guys know Tom Logue, Restore Temecula. He's like our most prophetic guy, most prophetic leader in our family of churches, and, and he prophesied over me, and he spoke something into my life. And by the way, guys, this is how slow of a mover I am. This is over a year ago. He just said, Andy, I think you're struggling to love this guy because you're, you aren't finding your identity and security in Jesus. I think you're struggling to love this guy because you aren't finding your identity and security in Jesus. And because this other leader is so similar to you, people always say, man, you're so similar to this guy. I don't know if you've ever had that. I just hated that. Because of that, you feel like he's encroaching on your territory, the thing that makes you feel special. And this is causing you to push him away. And that, that's really embarrassing to admit, but it was 100% true. And anyways, after months of praying about this, this past week, I confessed to him that I felt jealous and insecure around him because he had a lot in common with me, a lot of things. And we often were compared. And I said, hey, man, this isn't your fault. I want to ask for your forgiveness. And he struggled to offer me forgiveness. And it wasn't because he was this bitter guy. It was because he never felt sinned against. He's like, man, I just thought you were a quiet guy. I was like, okay, <laughs> you didn't know me. That's everything you need to know, okay? It's like, I just thought, man, everyone's like, man, uh, you know, this guy's so much like you, but he, he's, you know, it just seemed like he had a different kind of personality. But he, he offered it to me because he said he felt terrible about the weight I was carrying and the burden that that bitterness and sin is. That bitterness is poison. And after I did that, he shared with me, he shared with me with extreme vulnerability about how he compares himself to another young leader in another part of Southern California that everyone says is like him. He also then asked me if there was anything he did that contributed to our relationship being the way it was, which I was not looking for, guys. Kind of blew my mind. I hesitantly brought up different things. I thought, man, you know, you probably didn't realize this was foolish or hurtful or unhelpful. And guys, the relationship changed immediately. And I felt so much freedom. Uh, and by the way, I like to see this guy very rarely. Like, so just, just, I just, this is what I want you to catch. He's basically, he's a brother in Christ, but functionally he's kind of an acquaintance in my day-to-day -day life. And ever since that happened, it's like, man, stuff's felt lifted. Um, the relationship changed immediately. Again, I feel free. I feel whole. The condemnation, the guilt, the shame, the bitterness, it ended in a moment. Family, as amazing as that leader's response was in that moment, when we come to Jesus, the, the king of the universe, who we have wounded and wronged and grieved, and when we ask him for forgiveness, when we share that we want a reconciled relationship with him, the gift of freedom from condemnation is overwhelmingly freeing if you've tasted it. Like it's so good. 
It opens up a new relationship where we we are at peace with God, where the impasse is broken, intimacy is restored. And so that is the power of no condemnation, of, of restored relationship. I got, I, guys, I got a taste. I, it, was a, it wasn't even 1% of what this reality with God is. It was a shadow. But it was so good. Do you know the goodness of actually knowing you're reconciled to God? Well, like you know in your heart he loves me and he likes me even when I suck. He's helping me. He's for me. It's not just a new freedom from condemnation. It's also a freedom from bondage. Romans 8, 2 says, Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Key word here is because. It says, here's how I know I'm not under condemnation. I see a new law in me leading me away from sin and death. Now, um, real quick, I don't want the word law to confuse you here, especially in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, there's two, some scholars believe three different ways Paul uses the word law. Uh, one is Old Testament law. He's done that a lot. God's standard uh, Old Testament law. Um, there's another uh, way he means it, and it's almost like a scientific law. Think like a dynamic or principle. Like this, this dynamics at work within me. This principle is at work within me. This law is at work within me, right? And, um, and again, we used to uh, operate according to the old dynamic, that only if we kept the Old Testament law well enough, we would be accepted. Again, the problem is the law could not change our hearts, but now there is this new dynamic, this new law at work in our hearts, the life-giving power of the Spirit, and the Spirit is quite a new dynamic, He is powerful to change you in an instant. To help you see Jesus clearly in an instant. Um, We know we're not condemned because of what Jesus has done, but we also, we, we know we're not condemned practically day in and day out because of what this passage says, because of the, the Spirit's work in our life. We can point to the Spirit's work in our life. Listen, family, the, the, the necessary, like, like there's a freedom from condemnation to sin, but there's also a freedom from the bondage to sin. The closer we get to Jesus, the more aware we are that we are not like Jesus. I'm not talking about perfection, but you should be getting closer to Jesus. You should not be getting worse. You might feel like you're worse, at times, because you, you're changing so much, right? You don't know how out of shape you are to try to run a marathon, you know, that kind of thing. You might feel like, man, I've got a long way to go, but that's because you're actually growing and striving like the New Testament calls us to. There's two sides to the freedom coin. There is forgiven, but there is changed. There's freedom from condemnation, but also uh, for sin, but bondage to sin. The two always go together. We see this throughout Jesus' life in ministry uh, so often. There's a story where there's a paralyzed man and he's set before Jesus and Jesus heals him. And, when he, and, and, and before he heals him, he says, you are forgiven. Which in a public setting, you know, he's like, your sins are forgiven. He's like, why are we talking about my sin? Right? And he says, go, uh, get up and walk. There's a sense that, that something's happened to you, but now something happens through you. We see it in John chapter 8 um, uh, with the woman caught in adultery. And there's this moment where she has been uh, brought out by the Pharisees, these uh, religious, self-righteous, patriarchal leaders, and, uh, and they throw her out without her, uh, the guy she was doing adultery with. Adultery is not a, a one-person thing, just so you guys know. 
And, uh, but they don't bring him, they bring her. It seems to be a setup. It seems to be used to entrap Jesus. Jesus says to her, he says, neither do I condemn you, which is huge. She's about to be stoned, executed. He, he, he uh, does not fold to the crowd and, uh, and he, he advocates for her and they disperse. And, and then, he, you know, the only one who's sinless in the room, he says, um, you know, he already said, neither do I condemn you. But then he says, go and sin no more. A lot of us, we think Jesus only says one of those things to us. Some of you think Jesus is just saying all the time, go and sin no more, go and sin no more, go and sin no more, go and sin no more. And you forget that he's like, neither do I, I don't condemn you. But there's other of us who are like, neither do I condemn you. Do whatever you want, right? Like we come up with another phrase. And actually, if we have experienced him forgiving us, him loving for us, him sacrificing everything for us, it is no small thing to respond. Worship in the scriptures, it's defined as responding to God. God has done this for me. I do this for him. He has loved me. I love him. He has served me. I served him. So why does Jesus put it in that order? Again, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but just telling, telling people to stop it doesn't change them. There are a lot of different reasons people commit adultery. Maybe their, uh, their marriage is not what they want it to be. Maybe they've got this hole in their heart. Maybe their parents never um, poured out affection or acceptance onto them. Maybe they just wanted someone to see them, and even though they knew it was wrong, it felt good. But either way, Jesus needed to give her what she was really looking for, a love and acceptance. He sees her. He knows her. He loves her. He doesn't use her. He sacrifices for her. Jesus is like, man, whatever your soul is craving, it's not in that guy. This is still true, by the way, ladies. Men will never satisfy your soul. The gospel message is not just stop sitting. That would be an impossible message. It is behold the love and acceptance of Jesus, and then you'll have the power to stop sinning. Um, I often have to counsel people who chronically and sinfully overwork. And um, it's never worked for me to go, man, stop overworking, man. You're not sleeping enough. Don't you know how REM works? That rapid eye movement sleep, baby. You got to consolidate those memories. You got to be productive tomorrow. No one who overworks and doesn't sleep doesn't know sleep's good for you. Right. Um, and uh, and often it's it's because there's something going on in them. There's a dynamic. There's a lot work within them. Right. If I succeed, I will be somebody. Success means different things to, to different people. Right. But 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 I have to slow down and ask that question, man. Where is this pressure coming from to never turn it off? Like, do you think you're actually going to end up homeless and alone if you aren't the best at what you do all the time, even if it costs a relational, emotional, spiritual, and physical sacrifice of your health, your, your emotional health, physical health, spiritual health, relational health, even if it means neglecting your family and friends, your spouse, your children, your relationship with Jesus, right? If people have a tendency to jump into toxic, codependent dating relationships, again, it never works. Hey, man, stop, man. He's, just, he's not good for you. Some of you guys have had this experience. You've had to try to count. You're like, man, this, this is guys bad news bears, this gal, like it's emotionally abusive, it's manipulative, it's controlling, it's weird, man. Why would you want this? It's because they're looking for something deep down that only Jesus can give them. And until they know that he has, they can't take a step back and look at this thing clearly to assess, the, is this actually a healthy relationship or not? To say, hey, you know what, I don't need this relationship. This is a false 
need? Is this healthy? Do I shrink in the presence of this person? Do I have to change who I am and not in a good way? Do they have to shrink to be with me? Do I smother them or swallow up their personhood? We're only free to ask and answer those questions in a space that is free from condemnation. That same author puts it this way, God's acceptance is the power that liberates us from sin, not the reward for having liberated ourselves. And so there's these two kinds of freedom, freedom from condemnation, but freedom from bondage. And Paul really links them in this uh, next verse. Verse 3 says, for what the law, and this time it's the Old Testament law, could not do since it was weakened by the flesh. In the laws, making all the commands, uh, it's not making it easier to obey them. God did. He does it inside of us. He condemns sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. That Jesus became a person. He entered this world. He paid the penalty for you and me. In order, verse 4, in order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so Jesus um, released us from the law by being born in our flesh and living the life that we were supposed to live. He dies as a sin offering. He, he, he meets the law's requirements. Uh, he, he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And now the Old Testament law is dealt with, and now there's another law, right, a dynamic law that's going, you're free to love God and love people again, which is what you were designed to do at the beginning before the fall. A new law is at work within you. Jesus says the whole law could be, could be summed up as love uh, God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we're freed up to do that now. There's a scholar named Douglas Moo, a New Testament scholar. He writes this about this passage. God not only provides in Christ the full completion of the law's demands for the believer, but he also sends the spirit into the hearts of believers to empower a new obedience to his commands. What the law could not do, the spirit does through the gospel. He motivates us and empowers us and draws us. And so how does this happen? How does this get produced in us? Uh, Paul's going to tell us in verse 5. Verse 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Paul's saying whatever controls our mind controls our life. Whatever controls our mind controls our life. The thing that we think about and, and lean into, all right? Which actually leads to our second point uh, this morning. It's our second and last point. So again, we got some new gifts Jesus gives us in the gospel. The first one's a new freedom, kind of multifaceted freedom. And number two, he gives us a new perspective, a new perspective, a new way of thinking about things. Walking according to the Spirit is accomplished by setting our minds of the things, on the things of the Spirit. Now again, the Holy Spirit uh, is not a force. We're going to get into this next week. Um, he is a person, uh, co-equal with the, the, the Father and the Son, co-eternal, co-worthy of our worship. If you, understand how, if you want to understand how the Trinity works, ask Royce. He will clarify all of it for you. But he's saying, think about the things this person thinks about. Again, if you, he's saying kind of have, have the shared interests of the Spirit. When, I, when I'm trying to befriend someone, you have a bad friend if they only are interested, if they um, want you to be interested in what they're interested in, but they're never interested in what you're interested in. 
right? Like on my own, I will never think to myself, I want to watch a Star Wars movie. Now it's heresy to some of you guys. I just call it, this thing's kind of nerdy. I don't know. My friend Royce Nicholas likes Star Wars. And if he asked me, I would do it. I swear you guys, I'd do it, right? See this with married couples all the time. Do you show interest in each other's, uh, you know, interest, whatever. Uh, it's the same thing with the spirit. Do you care about what he cares about? What does he care about? He cares about um, the glory of Jesus. He cares about truth and justice and righteousness. He loves the church. Do you love the church? He, he loves the gospel. Do you, do you love the gospel? He loves seeing people love other people radically and sacrificially and scandalously. And so as you dwell in these things, the Spirit, if you're in fellowship with Him, um, He'll start to, to do things in you. Move to verse 6. says, now the mindset of the flesh is death. And by the way, this would be the pre-Jesus mindset. So we're going to see in verse 9. It's a pre-Jesus mindset. Now, you may still have remnants, right? We have to walk according to the Spirit. Galatians 5, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We don't have to fulfill the flesh. The flesh is still around, but it's not in charge because of what Jesus did. Uh, now, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Cannot please God. So what is the mindset of the flesh? Because if you have it, you cannot please God. This seems to be important to know. In verse 7, Paul says it's an attitude of hostility to God. And if it's flesh-focused, that means it's self-focused. So if you want to know, am I walking in the Spirit? Am I setting my mind on the things of the Spirit? I would ask you, how self-focused are you? And get C.S. Lewis who said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Paul Miller, in his excellent, excellent, excellent book, Love Walked Among Us, he says, love is having a heart full of someone else. And so, um, uh, yeah, one author summarizes it this way. I thought this was really helpful uh, in terms of like five selves. Um, and by the way, this is the default dynamic or operating system for everyone who's not a follower of Jesus. Just this is our natural thing. I'm not, if that's you, by the way, I'm not mad at you. This is me without Jesus. All right, this is all of us without Jesus. Um, uh, it's it's self-will, self-glory, self-righteousness, and self-sufficiency, and self-gratification. Self-will, self-glory, self-righteousness, self-sufficiency, self-gratification, self-will. So instead of God's will, right, I want my will to be done. My kingdom come, my will be done, Right? What I want is the most important thing always. Now I make decisions. What do I want? To self-glory, I want to humans, humanity, we naturally, we want the glory, not God. You know what I know about every, every uh, politician who's not a follower of Jesus? I don't care what party they are. They want the glory. So it's actually a really funny moment. Uh, with, I was with Clive um, and we were at the Joan Croc Center um, uh, yesterday, 
and uh, Olivia's dance classes, and we were there, and uh, and he said, why, why is it called the Joan Crocs? And I said, well, there's this uh, there's this woman, she's a billionaire, she got kind of co-owned McDonald's, and she just wanted to give back to the community. And he said, that's weird, she wants to give back, but she puts her name on it? Like, she wants to be, I was like, whoa, take it easy. <laughs> she's gone to be in, you know, she's, she's gone, I don't know if she was a believer or not, whatever, but, uh, but, but long story short, I think she actually she might have been, but, but long story short, like, Clive's like, wait a minute, whoa, right? I'm not hating on Joan Croc for the record. I'm sure she was a lovely gal. If you knew her, I'm sorry. But I'm not hating on we all want, We want her name on it, right? We, kind of, we want credit for stuff. A friend of mine, he, um, he was on a work call recently, and a gal gets on, and she uh, puts some slides up with some, like, infographics, and she's doing this presentation. It's a global conference call. And people just come out of the world work going, man, these slides are amazing. Love what you did, Julie. Love it, love it, love it, love it. My buddy's like, I made the slides. And she's like, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. means a lot. And uh, he said, I eventually just typed in the chat, yeah, I put a lot of work into these. Uh, as a team, I'm so excited. Uh, you know, something like that. Right? Again, as humans, we're like, man, I want the credit. It kills us. Um, Self-gratification. I want to feel good. I want to feel good. I want to eat, do, you know, whatever. I, I want to to feel good. You guys get that one on you go down that road too much. Self-righteousness. I want to be right. No, self-righteousness. Man, I've seen so many arguments amongst people that are supposed to love each other over what, like, what words mean. You had a real low point argument. You're like, is that what that even means? Look it up in a dictionary. Like, it's already over, okay? An argument with a friend is not Scrabble. If you got to get a dictionary out, your, your relationship's not good. And that stuff happens because we're petty. We're self-righteous. And we're willing to hurt people to be right. And religious people get a bad rap for this, and they, they should. They do it all the time. But so do secular people. Look at Twitter. Oh, my gosh. Get over yourself. The self-congratulatory stuff on social media is just crazy. And then self-sufficiency. I have what it takes. I don't need God. I don't need to depend on anyone. If you're walking in the flesh, you're a self-righteous, self-gratified, self-fulfilling, self-glorying, self-willed person. When you fellowship with the Spirit, you put Jesus into those spaces. You start thinking about the Father's will, not your own. You start thinking about, the, about bringing the glory to Jesus in any situation instead of what would make you look good. I'll get into this in a second, but when I sat with that Christian leader, it was not a great moment for me on the self front, but it was a great moment on the spirit front. When you find your identity in Jesus' righteousness, not your self-righteousness, your insecurity and self-righteousness can fade away, and we can start dealing with all this divisiveness in our culture. Everyone get off their high horses and just relax and apologize and listen and encourage, forgive. Family's mended, man. You depend on Jesus as you steward your life. Instead of being like a self-dependent you know, uh, dependent person, kind of self-sufficient, you depend on Jesus as you steward your life and your responsibilities and your resources. When we're in the flesh, focus on ourselves, we cannot please God. By the way, this doesn't mean you don't care at all about yourself. It's just it's not the dominating thing. What Jesus wants, who he is, what he's about is the, the first thing. Romans 8, 9 says, you, however, I love this, saying you cannot please 
God in the flesh. And he says to these Christians who still wrestle with sin, you, whoever, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. One commentator, he says this, he says, when people repent and trust in Christ, the spirit comes to indwell them. There are richer experiences of the Spirit's work throughout the believer's life, but the presence of the indwelling Christ is ours from the beginning. This does not mean believers will not at times quench the Spirit or grieve the Spirit. They surely will. Nor does it mean believers will never sin, for they surely will. It means believers possess the Holy Spirit who will, who surely will manifest the fruit of the Spirit. So not perfect but slowly but sure but slowly and surely we let the spirit let us become people who start to become like Jesus we start to manifest the fruit of the spirit and i don't want to give away next week's sermon but this starts to happen we start to become people of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control Also, I don't want anyone to feel condemned by what Paul has said because of where he started in verse 1. That can't be what he's trying to do. But I do want to ask you, is the Holy Spirit at work in a demonstrable way in your life? Where are you actually yielding to him? Are you letting him shape your thoughts? A couple questions I I think, uh, a couple questions I have that I think could be a good test of whether or not this is happening. All right. Um, I don't know who said it. Uh, I feel like everything that's a good quote that no one knows in the Christian world gets quoted to Charles Spurgeon and Mother Teresa. So I'm just going to say maybe one of those two. Uh, They say a good preacher disturbs the comfortable and comforts the disturbed. And I think this passage can kind of do that. See, man, are you actually a follower of Jesus? But if you are one to go, I'm a follower of Jesus. And that is great news. So I just have a couple questions to to, to help you think through this. Um, Here's a quick question. Have you attempted to grow in any of the fruit of the Spirit, and no one knew about it. So it wasn't tied to community pressure. It wasn't tied to your parents trying to make you do something or people at church or trying to look cool or trying to look like moral at work or whatever. Virtue signaling on Twitter or whatever. Like, it's none of that. It's, it's actually like you're doing it in the secret place. Do you ever obey God in ways that feel risky, that cost you something? Uh, Paul Miller's dad, Jack Miller, he said, have you ever given anything up just because you loved Jesus? It's a pretty down-home way to say, man, have you ever sacrificed anything for Jesus? Not because you're going to be in trouble, not because you're worried about hell, not because you want to fit in at like a, I don't know, Christian youth camp, whatever, but just because I love him. I'm setting this aside. Could be breaking off a relationship, could be confessing sin to someone, could be a, today a big financial gift, but you're doing something that feels risky, feels costly. If your answer to those questions are yes, then the Spirit of God's at work in your life, even if you're still a mess, even in those areas sometimes. I promise you, when I repented to that guy this week for how I had judged him, I didn't think I would share it with you. I was like, man, I'm gonna have a good illustration for church. I didn't think I was gonna share it with him. I didn't call the meeting. As it went on and on, I'm like, you got to tell him this, you got to tell him this, you got to tell him this. Like, no, man, it's weird. It's weird. And then I, like, I, I'm not, by the way, then I can't use that card anymore. 
It's like, dude, you judge me again doing that weird, you told me you avoid me and you don't like me. Is that what's going on again? Is it that you're too busy or too cool or, cause, or you just don't like me? Also, I didn't need anything from him, guys, when I shared it. Like, I, I didn't. I was just seeking to be obedient to the Spirit. I was shocked I shared it with him. But it was evidence of the Spirit's work in my life. And it was messy. I wrestled with it. It took time. I feel like God gave me clarity like a year ago what was going on. And by the way, I didn't hear him say, you need to go tell him. But I, like, I also still kind of avoided him. And I, I still wasn't like the greatest text responder. You guys know me. I, I'm not great. But I was, I was extra not great. And I could go, man, ask my friends. I'm just not good at texting back. But, but there was more to it than that. But when I found my righteousness in Jesus, not in self, when I, found, when I would go, I want to glorify Jesus in this situation, not me, it becomes a no-brainer to do this with him. He is in tears, and he's going, you've changed the way I view leadership in the church. Didn't expect that. Again, by confessing to him, I was giving him power over me. Now, here's what I want to say. I'm not perfect, but I did see the dynamic at work that the Spirit was at work in my life. Does that make sense? And you guys are here, you, you guys have this. You guys are following, you have this. It's not, but you've seen a steady growth. And again, you feel safe to change because your life's about Jesus. You should feel safe to change because your life should be about Jesus, not you. It's about Jesus, not, not self, first and foremost. Also, if you're seeing signs of the Spirit in your life and you've put your faith in Jesus, this means you can know in your mess, in your wrestle, you can please God. The text said when you're, when you're in the flesh, you, you can't please God. But, but, but that's not true of you, verse 9 says. You're in the Spirit. What a gift to know that we can please the Father in this life. It will be a wonderful thing to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, on that last day for you or whenever it happens. And my eschatology is not that clear. But you can have it today. You can know in your heart. God through his Spirit speak to you today, man. I'm proud of you today. I love you today. I saw the way that you tried to do that thing that was really hard for you today. I see how forgiveness is a freaking mess and you've been so wounded or abused or hurt. It's so confusing and it's so hard, but you're trying. You keep showing up for counseling. You keep reading the book. You keep trying to memorize the verse. You're, you're still thinking through the conversation. You're not running from it. You're pleasing him. He loves it. He doesn't require perfection. Are you yielding to the Spirit? So when I want to ask this question, where do you still see remnants of an old mindset that is hostile to God? Remnants of the flesh, leftover um, old perspective from when you were in the flesh before you met Jesus. Is it self-will, my way or the highway? Is it self-glory, my promotion or no promotion? I, I, mean, I love in John 3.30 when, when John the Baptist says, I must become less and less, he must become more and more. I know a group of pastors that make ministry about them. If you can make talking about Jesus about you, you definitely can at work. You definitely can in your families. Is it self-glory? Is it self-will? Is it self-gratification? Is it self-righteousness? Is it self-sufficiency? I'm going to ask you to just take a moment. Mars is going to strum before we sing and just ask God, man, where, where, where's my thinking still so self-focused, flesh-focused? And then move into a space of repentance to say, man, I want to replace that word self in those phrases with the word Jesus. And not just in the phrase, but in my actual life. Like I really want to live a life that says not my will, but your will be done. 
I want to live a life that goes, man, not just for my pleasure, but I want to live for your pleasure. I want a life that says, I actually believe my righteousness is in Jesus so I can live that way. I'm freed up to admit stuff and confess stuff and ask stuff. And so uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray us into that time. Just close your eyes. Just take a second. I know it can be tricky. We got planes still. We got, we got kids. We got some, uh, you know, some ambient noise out here. But as much as you're able to, just take a moment to ask God, man, where is the self, the flesh, still real? Which one of those areas? Maybe it's a couple of them. And ask him, is there anything practical you could do today to, 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 to set your mind on the things of the spirit, but also to, to, to replace Jesus in those areas. There's some practical steps you could obey to, to, um, to move you out of self and into Jesus. Let's take a couple minutes, just kind of quiet yourselves.